You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We're going to start with breaking details about a tragedy unfolding in Prince Rupert. RCMP are investigating the discovery of four bodies inside a home. And we'll go right to our Jordan Armstrong for the details on this. Jordan, what have you learned? Chris, all indications are this was a family tragedy. The grisly discovery was made last night around 9 o'clock, but we don't know who called police. The crime scene is a large home on Silverside Drive. It's a neighborhood just northeast of downtown Prince Rupert. This video was taken just a short time ago. You can see investigators are still there. Sources have told Global News that a couple and their two young children are dead. Chris Duong and his partner Janet Nguyen were well known in the coastal community, home to about 12,000 people. These photos are from a recent family vacation to Mexico. At this point, RCMP are not calling this a murder-suicide, but at the same time, they're saying the public is not at risk and they're not looking for any suspects. Chris, back to you. All right, Jordan, thanks very much. Rain and cooler temperatures the past few days have helped fight the wildfires in B.C., but officials are warning not nearly enough rain has fallen to improve the overall fire danger. And as Richard Zussman shows us, spending on the firefight has just blown past a major milestone. Province on high alert, preparing for the worst. As we move further into the wildfire season, I urge people to stay informed and be prepared. The BC government providing an update Wednesday as officials brace for this fire season to continue to break records. Since April 1st, there have been 433 wildfires across BC, burning 762,000 hectares. Compare this to the 20-year average, where at this point of the year, there would typically be 306 fires, but only 18,000 hectares burned. The 20-year average is down here, and this season is way up there. The vast majority of these hectares are burned within the northeast region of the province, where we continue to respond to our largest incidents. Rain has splashed down in parts of the province over the last few days, and a little more is in the forecast, but it's nowhere near enough. We were very grateful for the rain that we saw over the last several days. But from what I understand, it uh, it was not enough to alleviate our concerns. We're in a tricky spot. And, and I guess to be really, uh, I guess not too technical, is we, we need sustained rainfall over the course of a period of a week, seven to ten days. And, and that's just not in the forecast. With the fire hazard high, the cloudy weather actually hurts the chance of fighting fires. Not only is there a higher risk of lightning, it's actually harder to spot the fire. It's very challenging to detect fires when you have smoke and cloud cover in the interior and, and up the spine of the province. Fighting fires coming with a cost. BC Wildfire Service has already spent more than $100 million. And even though the government has budgeted just over $200 million, the money will be there no matter the fire situation. The money is available when it's needed, and so that is, is not a concern. And with the rain fading in the forecast, that need may be coming soon. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Senior meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us now with a closer look at the rainfall expected and when things are likely to heat up again, Christy. 
Well, Chris, this is looking at a computer model showing the potential rainfall over the next seven days. Now, while it does look like there's quite a bullseye in parts of the BC Peace River area, most of the province expecting only 10 to 20 millimeters. Now, keep in mind, June is the rainiest month in many areas in through the southern interior. So 10 to 20 millimeters over a, a, a week-long period is very minimal indeed. Now, when we look in the long range as, as to whether there's a ridge of high pressure in store for us, we really don't have anything substantial uh, when we look at some of the computer models at this point, although the long-range outlook into July and August does look like it is going to be dry and sunny and hot, but we don't have anything substantial in terms of that big ridge of high pressure at this point. All right, we'll check in uh, with the local forecast a little bit later on too, Christy. Thanks very much. Business is way down on the west coast of Vancouver Island this week, cut off from the flow of traffic that sustains it in the summertime. Port Alberni, Euclid and Tofino are feeling increasingly isolated from the tourists they depend on. Aaron MacArthur shows us the impact. The middle of June and the streets of Tofino are decidedly quiet. With tourists scarce, business owners that rely on visitor spending are concerned. Like on a shoestring budget all of spring, just trying to survive to the summer, is kind of the game in Tofino because we do about 80% of our business in four months of the year. Hotel and tour bookings have plummeted since Highway 4 was closed. Business is down anywhere between 50 and 80%. For a house adventures, a new tour company owned and operated by the house at First Nation they slow down, not how they expected to be spending their second month in business. It's definitely not what you hope for when you're sort of planning out how the business is going to get off the ground, but uh, take it all in stride and do what we can to, uh, to maximize all of our operations. Tofino and Euclid's economies run on tourist dollars during the summer. There is still road access, but it's not ideal. A motorhome off the side of the logging road to Port Alberni showing just how dangerous the route can be. Tourists are being reminded to only make the trip if it's essential. Airlines have increased flights into the west coast, but those are bringing just a fraction of the typical number of visitors. Highway 4 isn't expected to open until next week, and that's only one lane. Full reopening, not scheduled until mid-July. Uh, so it's not a joke. This, this is really, uh, you know, the potential to be quite devastating for, for many of our businesses and our communities on the coast. Tofino, Euclid, First Nations communities are all open for business. But the longer this slowdown goes on, the more impact it will have. Discussions are underway with the provincial government on possible financial relief. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. New research out of UBC backs up expectations of a hotter-than-usual summer, but not as hot as the 2021 heat dome. BC recorded 619 heat-related deaths in what is Canada's deadliest weather event during that heat wave. Rachel White of UBC's Department of Earth, Ocean and Atmospheric Sciences sees El Nino conditions developing this year. Typically, that means warmer temperatures around the world, but... Here in B.C., the effects are usually felt in the colder months. White says another heat dome is unlikely in the next few decades. Well, body-worn cameras are finally coming to the Vancouver Police Department in a trial period set to start this fall. The VPD is following through on a recommendation from the Miles Gray inquest. But as Krista Dow reports, not everyone believes they're a helpful tool. 
Police interactions like this routine traffic stop are generally uneventful. But in some cases, things can quickly go south. What if there's no cell phone footage? What if there's no CCTV footage? We are essentially fighting the word of a police officer against a person who might have a bad criminal record, who's going to be believed more. Now, another layer of police oversight, the implementation of body-worn cameras. We don't have to challenge their credibility. We don't have to challenge their reliability. We can actually look at the footage and we can see what actually happened. The Vancouver Police body-worn camera pilot project is set to launch later this fall and is estimated to last about six months. It's estimated 100 police officers will be outfitted with these new body-worn cameras. This is a tool that can aid in the determination of whether or not any use of force was appropriate. And that is very important. To me, that's the real goal here is to have as much a high quality evidence as we can. The new measures stem from recommendations made by the jury in the Miles Gray inquest. The only witnesses in the 2015 beating death of Gray were the officers themselves. We would like to see them operated in any situation where there may be an interaction between the police and public that could result in the use of force that might result in serious harm or death. But not everyone is on board. Some questioning the efficacy of the cameras and are concerned for people's privacy. To think that there's going to be agents of the state walking around collecting just everything, even um, conversations that are, you know, people aren't even aware are being captured. But this criminal lawyer says the benefits outweigh the concerns. There is no room for guesswork. There's no unbiased opinions. Uh, we can present the facts as is. Vancouver Police says it will conduct an assessment after the trial period with a full deployment plan to follow. Krista Dow, Global News. A number of police departments across Canada have started using body cams or are considering them, along with Vancouver. Those include Toronto Police, nearby Peel, Montreal, Ottawa and Calgary. The RCMP is also bringing in cameras. Detachments in Alberta, Nunavut and Nova Scotia will be the first to implement as many as 15,000 of the cameras over the next year and a half. The Independent Investigations Office has cleared a Vancouver police officer who shot a suspect in self-defense. Jesse Schellenberg and his service dog Jade responded to a call on Commercial Drive and 2nd Avenue in July 2022. A suspect in a white van was seen fleeing a break and enter and police boxed the suspect in. As Schellenberg and Jade approached on foot, the driver fired a gun. It was a blank, but the officer responded by firing six rounds at the van. The driver of that van, Robin Landrew Price, has been sentenced to five years in prison for his actions. And a heartfelt apology today from a Vancouver police officer who's being sentenced for assaulting a man in the Granville Entertainment District back in 2018. As Grace Key reports, the officer was found guilty of using a conductive energy weapon on a black man accused of jaywalking. Vancouver Police Constable Jared Sidhu stood up in court and made an apology to the victim and community after a judge found him guilty of assault with a weapon in February. I want to extend my deepest apologies to Mr. Moore Williams. I cannot find adequate words to express the profound regret I feel for the pain and suffering I've caused you. It pains me deeply to witness the erosion of trust in law enforcement my actions have caused you. You deserve more than words. You deserve to feel safe and secure when dealing with police. 
I'm really sorry that my actions have shattered that trust. To those that witnessed the incident, to the community as a whole, I also want to apologize for my actions. The community deserves better. Crown is asking for 60 days conditional sentence, essentially house arrest and 12 months probation. He's asking for a conditional discharge so if Sidhu follows his conditions, he won't have a criminal record. In 2018, police stopped Jamel Moore-Williams for jaywalking at the Granville Entertainment District. A judge found Moore-Williams was obstructing justice, but use of the conducted energy weapon, commonly known as a taser, was unjustified. Sidhu deployed the weapon three times, the first just 17 seconds after the initial takedown involving five officers. Moore-Williams was not in court, but Crown read a victim impact statement. I don't feel safe anymore, especially around police. I stopped doing my day-to-day -day activities. This has had an adverse effect on me mentally and physically. I don't feel safe at all. I can't call the police after what happened. Crown cited two aggravating circumstances, the nature of the weapon used and the position of trust as a police officer. Defense also noted that Sudhu has since taken courses and training on use of force, decision making and impartial policing. And he also reviews use of force reports on his own time. Now, defense also said that Sudhu had been on the force for less than two years when this incident happened. It was an intense situation where decisions happened had to be made within seconds and at the time Sudhu believed wrongly that he had been placed in a chokehold. Constable Sudhu is not currently assigned to patrol duties. The judge is reserving his decision. A date has not been set yet. Grace Key, Global News. Public Safety Minister Mike Farnworth has sent another cautionary letter to Surrey City Council. It outlines concerns about the lack of communication between city staff and ministry officials as councillors inch towards a decision on policing. As Catherine Urquhart reports, Farnworth is urging the city to keep the lines of communication open. As the city of Surrey grapples with a decision to either keep the RCMP or transition to the Surrey Police Service, BC's Public Safety Minister has delivered a warning letter. It alerts mayor and council they need to share information, and if their plan doesn't meet mandatory conditions, this could create a policing crisis, which puts into question safe and effective policing in the city of Surrey. What I'm particularly concerned about right now is that there had been a lot of information sharing and an agreement that we would see um, the penultimate draft, the, the, the final draft before it went to council. Uh, we've now been informed that uh, that's not the case. It really surprises me that uh, there was a lack of transparency on behalf of the city in terms of um, the information that should be uh, forwarded to the province. On April 28th, the province released a report recommending Surrey continue transitioning to the SPS and offered financial assistance totaling $150 million. Surrey was advised they could keep the RCMP only if non-negotiable staffing conditions were met. Nearly seven weeks later, still no decision. All police officers, officers in Surrey, whether RCMP or SPS, need a clear timeline. Uh, we need a timeline for a decision. The uncertainty has been dragging on for too long and we need to be able to move forward. Also weighing in on the policing debate, Premier David Eby, who is urging cooperation from the city of Surrey. We need to have an open uh, relationship with the city of Surrey to work through this. And uh, we need to make sure that the residents of Surrey get the policing that they deserve. Surrey Mayor Brenda Locke refused to comment on the letter, but has called a last-minute closed council meeting for 2 p.m. on Thursday. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. And Keith Baldry joins us now with more on the policing situation in Surrey. Keith, the Solicitor General Mike Farnworth has given his recommendation 
But at what point might he step in even further? Yeah, quite the letter here from Mike Farmer with using words like troubling, precarious, crisis. I haven't heard that type of language from the minister before. And also reminding the council that he has statutory duty to ensure adequate policing levels are existing in Surrey. So into the Police Act, pulled out two sections that were outlines his powers here. Section 2, for example, says the minister must ensure that an adequate and effective level of policing and law enforcement is maintained throughout British Columbia. Then Section 4 has different language, but similar powers on the recommendation of the minister, the left-handed governor and council, that's the cabinet, may make regulations to enhance, provide, or reorganize policing and law enforcement in any or all areas of B.C., including without limitation in any or all municipalities. Pretty clear he seems to have a power to step in and potentially make the call here, but put that question to him today at Vancouver Cabinet Office, and I think the terseness of his reply is very telling. All I know is I'm the Solicitor General, and my job is to ensure safe and effective policing in Surrey and the rest of the province, and I will do my job. So he says he's going to do his job, which tells me that if Surrey can't get its act together and make a decision, uh, he may make it for him. It's going to be a very interesting meeting at 2 o'clock tomorrow. This is sort of called out of the blue. Uh, one has to assume to deal with Foreign Wars letter and perhaps a review that he does have some ultimate, uh, penultimate, to use a word he just used, authority here to step in. It'll be interesting to see what comes of that meeting. Keith, look forward to that. Thank you. All right. All right. Flair gets more air. How the low-cost flyer is capitalizing on upheaval in the airline industry to expand service when others are grounded. That's next on the News Hour. Caught on video, the theft of some high-end golf equipment, where it happened, and what to be on the lookout for a little later. Right now, though, it may not always feel like it, but consumers are benefiting from intense competition among Canada's domestic air carriers. Airlines earned $2.4 billion in March, surpassing levels seen before the pandemic. And as they ramp up their summer service, Jennifer Palma finds out if airlines are really in it for the long haul. You'll see the plan blades here. Each one of these is about 150,000 US dollars. We replaced three of them a few weeks ago because a bird struck them. Big money being spent on safety and ensuring their growing fleet continues to fly. Ultra low cost carrier Flair Airlines has leased two more planes to deal with summer travel demands, meaning 18 planes will fly Flair's logo. What makes customers happy is, is an awesome operation. 82.1% on time performance in the month of May, the best of any airline in uh, Canada by quite a margin. This after a turbulent few months for the carrier, with four of its planes being seized, causing travel headaches for customers. A report by the airline regulator even showing they had the highest complaints of Canadian carriers. The company disputes the report, but they have regrouped. We offer best price and people want to go on time. Uh, and it's critical to the business and it's critical to the ultra low cost model that we do that. It's also critical to passengers that Canada's airlines maintain the ability to continue flying. Many carriers offering cheaper travel have come and gone. At present for other airlines, including Porter and Lynx, are also offering routes across Canada, all helping to drive down ticket prices. We've seen deals where um, you can fly to Calgary for, you know, $59, $69. You'll be able to fly across the country for maybe 99, 139. It's the busy summer travel season, and there has been a lot of chaos in the airline industry over the past year. Flair, though, says it's ready to keep its passengers in the air. Are there yeah. too many players, not enough players? No, it's competitive, um, which is, I think, refreshing uh, because for so long people have paid too much uh, here in Canada. 
And while these cheap prices will send customers flying high for the carriers, it could cause them to be grounded. There's no way they can sustain introductory fares as low as they've been putting into the marketplace for an extended period of time. I'm hopeful that they'll all make it, but I'm also doubtful. Jennifer Palma, Global News. Flair isn't the only airline making news in Vancouver today. Air Canada announced a major new international service linking Vancouver and Singapore. The flight will operate four times a week starting April 2024. Singapore Airlines currently flies the route three times a week, but will pull out of the Canadian market in October. This will be the first time Air Canada has served the Southeast Asian metropolis in more than 30 years. Well, it might be high time to rein in some of that travel spending after Statistics Canada released data showing the household debt-to-income ratio is climbing to troubling new heights. And some economists say there's likely more pain ahead for Canadian families. Shalima Maharaj reports. Without a doubt, the struggle is real. It's been really difficult, I must say. I'm on a limited income. I'm retired now. I may not be able to stay in retirement. And for Valerie Fisher... There doesn't look like there's going to be any reprieve anytime soon. So um, that's my opinion. I know a lot of my friends are going through the same thing. For these siblings... We're saving up, but not saving up for a down payment or anything like that. That's out of that's out of question. So luckily, mom lets us stay at home and luckily we have a place, but I know a lot of our friends couldn't stay in the city. It comes the same day Statistics Canada released data showing how much Canadians owe relative to how much they took in. Credit market debt rose to 184.5% in the first quarter of the year, up from 181.7% in the fourth quarter last year. What that means is for every dollar of disposable income, the average Canadian family owes $1.85 in credit market debt. On the home front, mortgage interest payments were around 70% higher in the first quarter of 2023 versus the same period in 2022. And the share of mortgages with an amortization period longer than 25 years is up sharply. In fact, they now account for close to half of all new mortgages. I think it's more that we're used to living on credit. Uh, if you remember just 18 months ago, interest rates were at record lows and we were basically borrowing as much as we could. Economist Moshe Lander tells Global News the most worrying issue isn't necessarily how much Canadians are indebted now, it's about how much more they could be indebted in the future. I think a lot of Canadians uh, fool themselves, maybe they're talking to co-workers, they're talking to family, they're talking to friends, and they're not being 100% honest with what it is that they absolutely need and what is it that they can do without. And so anything that you can do without, postpone it. Shalima Maharaj, Global News. The largest ever meth seizure in Metro Vancouver, where the liquid meth was headed and the fortune it would have been worth on the street coming up. Plus, well, a lot of people are stressed and concerned. Esquimalt residents forced from their homes still waiting for answers. That's next. Good evening. Traffic is moving well both ways over here at the Alex Fraser Bridge, but there is a crash on the Richmond side at Highway 91 and the 99. Contact Kermac for expert windshield repair and replacement services while supporting Kermac Cares for Kids. Kermac is celebrating 50 years of collision and auto glass services. Choose the best. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. A mission man has been found guilty of one count of sexual assault in relation to a, an attack that was caught on camera in North Vancouver last year. 
On February 13, 2022, a woman was attacked while walking on a trail in Lynn Valley. In the immediate aftermath of the attack, she started video recording and confronted her attacker. Jairus Paul Kovacha Sacramento was later identified and arrested. He'll be sentenced at a still-to-be-scheduled date. Nearly 20 people who were evacuated from their homes in Esquimalt Tuesday are still waiting for any word on when they can return. Their apartment building has been deemed unsafe. Kylie Stanton has more on the construction site incident that started it. Phil is brought in by the truckload, picked up and moved to where the ground gave way early Tuesday morning. We got a call from the construction company saying there had been a collapse of their shoring and they were asking, you know, there'd been a large amount of earth that had moved. It took with it this vehicle and several trash bins, potentially compromising nearby apartment buildings. I just felt the tremors. I thought it was just the trucks rolling in, but it was the ground shaking, so the ground collapsing. Roughly 10 residents who were forced to evacuate from this building have since been allowed to return. But the 20 or so living here, where the parking lot has become a sinkhole of sorts, are now displaced and waiting for answers. People are, are, are stressed and concerned. I think a few residents are staying with uh, relatives and some are staying in hotels. It is nerve-wracking and uh, all I can say is uh, hoping for the best. According to Esquimalt Fire and Rescue Services, the construction company called in the collapse as soon as it happened. And within minutes, crews responded. Engineers have since been working to determine what caused the shoring to fail while formulating a plan. But so far, there's no update on the status of the building. They want answers, but we don't have the exact answers that the people that live here are looking for or the people in the community are concerned about. Global News reached out to Eagle Crest Construction for comment, but did not receive a response. According to WorkSafe BC, there were no injuries in the collapse, but neighboring residents were only able to grab the essentials. Now, with the help of escorts, they're coming back to retrieve pets, medications, and valuables, not knowing if or when they'll be allowed back. I'm hoping to return. It's been a good home for us. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Esquimalt. The Canada Border Services Agency is showing off its largest ever seizure of methamphetamine. Border agents made four separate seizures, totaling more than 6,000 kilograms, nearly 14,000 pounds of liquid meth. The drug was disguised as canola oil and bound for Australia, where it has an estimated street value of 1.7 billion with a B Australian dollars. All of the drugs were found during inspections of cargo moving through the port of Vancouver. The role of international organized crime groups is a major part of the investigation. Organized crime groups work across countries and that's something that we uh, do in law enforcement as well. So um, really important for us to continue to do that. In terms of which organized crime groups, it's not something that we'd be prepared to label yet. Still very early stages of the investigation. To put the size of these seizures into perspective, from 2018 to 2022, the CBSA's Pacific region seized around 2,000 kilos of methamphetamine from 653 individual seizures. So far, six people have been arrested in Australia, and police there and in Canada say their investigation continues. BC is taking a major step to combat its deadly opioid crisis. It's providing universal coverage for opioid agonist treatment, the first province in Canada to do so. 
BC's Ministry of Mental Health and Addiction says the coverage is now in effect for all residents with an active medical services plan. It aims to remove cost barriers for individuals seeking medications to help prevent withdrawal and the risk of death. There have been more than 11,000 toxic drug-related deaths since BC declared a public health emergency back in 2016. Well, golfers like early tee times, but these guys weren't looking to hit the links. Thieves caught on camera, gripping it and ripping it off. Where this happened next on the News Hour. Plus, a medical emergency during today's BC Lions practice. What we're learning about the collapse of a player. Counterflow is out over here at the Massey Tunnel. Two lanes in both directions and just some leftover volume southbound from Steveston on the approach. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert repair for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. Kermac is celebrating 50 years of collision and auto glass services. Choose the best. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. Well, people looking for some new golf clubs are being warned in case of a steal of a deal posted online. Right after thieves broke into a popular South Surrey golf club and made off with thousands of dollars in high-end equipment. Janet Brown reports. Beauty. Morgan Creek Golf Course in South Surrey is a busy place these days. It is tough to get a tea time. But in the quiet of the early morning hours Tuesday, surveillance cameras captured a brazen robbery of the golf shop. Two people took less than 30 seconds to make off with between $25 and $30,000 of pricey clubs and bags. So this is where they got in? Yeah, absolutely. So they used a tool to uh, jar right in there. You can see the damage done to the door. Eight drivers right here. You can see eight, eight empty spots there. And then on the other side of this display, there's a, there were two drivers and a number of ferry woods that were taken. And right here, there were two bags with uh, rentals from uh, the last couple of years. Uh, and then the far end of the golf shop uh, in the corner, just by the gentleman walking out there, we had two bags of um, demo equipment that was, uh, that was taken as well. Surrey RCMP say the stolen golf clubs will likely end up being sold online or elsewhere, so it is buyer beware. If something seems too good to be true, uh, it likely is, and there's a very good chance that it's stolen. Okay, it's time to eat iron. Golfers at Morgan Creek were surprised and angry to hear the news. There's going to be some drivers on the market that are going to be a lot cheaper than what they sell them for, unfortunately. It's just wild to see something like that happen at uh, such a nice place. It's crazy. The frustrating thing for us is uh, if people are determined to get in, they will get in. Um, all we can do is just continue to create barriers and we're changing our procedures to adapt. This is the vehicle the robbers took off in. RCMP are now working to try and identify the suspects and get a license plate. Janet Brown, Global News. The B.C. Greens are calling for health care reform with several horror stories reported recently from emergency rooms across the province. Party members say chronic staff shortages and emergency rooms struggling to admit new patients means something has to be done. Deputy Leader Dr. Sanjeev Gandhi says with more than a third of the province's budget spent on health care, there should be more to show for it. Politics has seeped into every crevice of our health care system, creating an environment where decisions are driven more by partisan agendas rather than by the best interests of patients. And it's those patients who suffer the consequences. 
The Greens are calling for a number of changes, including standardized processes for health care programs, more support for workers, and a reevaluation of how money is spent by health authorities. They say art is in the eye of the beholder, and later on the news hour, reaction from a Calgary neighborhood to this lawn ornament and why the artist's creations usually go up in flames. Also, tornado warnings issued for parts of southern Alberta. Christy will be here with more on that. All your local news. All your breaking news. All the news you need. Get it at 6. Global News Hour at 6. BC's big news. The 2023 Canadian Screen Awards have named Global News Hour at 6 the country's best local newscast. Thank you, BC, for making Global News Hour at 6 your choice for news. We get wild weather on the West Coast, but not usually tornadoes. But uh, mm -hmm. that's what they're dealing with in Alberta, Christy. Southern Alberta just exploded in activity this afternoon just after three and it is continuing as we speak. There's been numerous uh, possible tornadoes reported. This one uh, reported just north of Lethbridge and uh, this woman who posted on Instagram or pardon me on Twitter uh, said that it came very close to her house. Meanwhile there was reports of one in the Brooks area and this one in Enchant Alberta. Look at the how massive it is. So uh, we do still have some warnings that are in effect right now, uh, but uh, certainly um, everyone in these regions have been urged to stay indoors. No reports of damage or anyone injured at this time. Again, this is just still happening right now. So right now we still have warnings in effect and watches in through the southeastern portions of Alberta. Now we've had an extension in our region. We had a few lightning strikes today, but nothing compared to that. We've had an extension though of our air quality advisory. We have a strong northerly flow across the province and that's pushing the smoke much further south. And we're going to continue to see that even in the southern interior tomorrow, local smoke coming and going, and certainly widespread smoke in the BC Peace River area. BC Peace did have a number of thunderstorms today, but the bulk of the rainfall was in that southeastern corner of our province. We remain cloudy in Metro Vancouver, but we are expecting a clearing tomorrow. In fact, the clearing will occur across much of the province, except for this system driving in, and that will impact our region as we head into our Friday. So although we've got a sunny day on the way for most of the province tomorrow, we're right back into unsettled weather Friday and into the weekend. So yes, hot and sunny with smoky conditions in most areas all across the southern region and in the central interior. For our region, mainly sunny. Highs will range from 20 to 21 degrees. But by Friday, we're back to unsettled weather and particularly into the weekend. Even as we look into next week, it looks like unsettled weather will continue. But as we talked about earlier, it's not substantial substantial rain that we're expecting. It's just a few sprinkles here and there. So not enough to really change the drought that we're experiencing. Look at this shot from Ian. This is from yesterday. We had a few thunderstorms in the region. This is from Chilliwack. Thank you so much, Ian. I have to admit, every time I see a rainbow shot in Chilliwack, it's always spectacular. It is, isn't it? Yeah, there's a lot going on in that photo. All of it beautiful. Mm -hmm. Uh, Squire joins us now with sports. We mentioned it briefly earlier. A lot of concern for one of the players at Lions Camp. Yes, uh, Philip Norman, who's a veteran offensive lineman, collapsed today basically just at the start of practice. They had just gone through their walkthroughs. He was taken to Royal Columbian Hospital. They did an EKG. It came back normal. That's good news, but he will overnight 
at the hospital. Of course, the Lions players and coaching staff very shaken up. We were out there today, so we'll give you the full story on what happened. All right, glad he's doing okay. Thanks for that, Squire. Also coming up. When I was building it, people walked by. It's like, what are you making? What are you making? The eye-catching yard ornament in a Calgary neighborhood and why the artist who built it plans to set it on fire. Squires here now with the latest on what happened at BC Lions practice. Well, yes, the Lions, of course, are getting ready for their uh, home opener, which will be Saturday, 4 o'clock at BC Place against Edmonton. Now, they canceled practice pretty much around when it started today because during the walkthrough, veteran offensive tackle Philip Norman collapsed for reasons that still haven't been clarified, but the situation was serious enough that he was taken to Royal Columbian Hospital. He will stay overnight. He was awake, he was alert before he was taken there. That's good news. Obviously though, what happened was jarring for every member of the Lions organization. The look of shock and concern was visible on the faces of every member of the BC Lions football team after practice was halted and then canceled following what the team is describing as a significant medical episode involving offensive lineman Phil Norman just as practice was getting started. We were doing walkthrough and uh, nothing, the tempo is probably, you know, 75, 60%, nothing crazy near the end of it. And uh, after the play can be a little lighthearted, you know, joking around, whatnot, and uh, all of a sudden you hear a big thump and um, he's on the ground. Uh, immediately knew something wasn't right. And that's kind of when, uh, you know, the fight or flight kind of kicks in and we're calling for help. You know, Phil's always running around and having a good time and it just looked like he slipped and fell and sort of was down. And uh, my initial reaction, I walked over and didn't, it looked like it wasn't an accident or a fall. It looked like he, you know, had dropped. And my re initial reaction is to yell for the trainers and call 911. And, you know, that's what we're taught to do. And they were at his aid very quickly and they helped him. So... Yeah. Obviously, you shut down practice, but the effect that it has on guys. Yeah. You know, I mean, obviously, you just care about the guy and uh, um, not something you, you see very often. So um, it was something significant. Uh, we don't know exactly what it was, but uh, um, obviously, we take it very seriously, and he's getting full medical care, and um, we'll obviously be hoping for a full recovery and go from there. This is the last thing you want to see. Norman's on-field medical emergency immediately brings back memories of Buffalo Bills safety DeMar Hamlin going down. And just like in Hamlin's case, the BC Lions medical staff were instantly on the scene assisting their player. Thankfully, Norman is all right. His EKG test came back normal and he's resting comfortably in hospital. We always say football is family and you'll hear many breakdowns around the you know, team and around practice about you know, family, one, two, three family. And we really mean that because we spend a lot of time with each other on and off the field and you get to know one, one each other very personally and I've spent four years with Phil and great guy and come to work every day and um, yeah just a little uh, you know a little overwhelmed with what happened today and I pray for Phil and, and his family. And as Jay said hopefully it looks all good for mm -hmm. Phil Norman he will overnight at Royal Columbian. Okay the Vegas Golden Knights are going to take over the strip 
As you'd expect for their victory parade, it'll be Saturday night at 7 o'clock if you happen to be going down to Vegas. Uh, they'll go past all the big hotels, all the big casinos on the Las Vegas Boulevard before finally stopping at T-Mobile Arena, where they will hold a rally outside the fortress, as it's known, starting at 9 o'clock. Now, Vegas has one of the largest contingent of Canadian-born players on its roster. Three were born in B.C. like defenseman Shea Theodore of Aldergrove, who's been with Vegas all of its time in the NHL. And he's a big part of their outstanding blue line. The two main goalies that they use in the playoffs, Laurent Bossois and Aiden Hill, were also both born on Vancouver Island. Bossois was born in Port Alberni, grew up in Cloverdale. Aiden Hill was born in Comox. Speaking of Las Vegas, that is where the Canadian men's soccer team is for the final four of the CONCACAF Nations League Cup. Canada will play Panama tomorrow. The U.S. will play Mexico. The two winners would meet in the final on Sunday. Of the four finalists this year, Canada is the only team that lost the game leading up to the semifinals. Canada has everyone there you would want to be there. Alfonso Davies, Jonathan David, Kyle Laren. In fact, um, there's Alfonso Davies coming out of the bus right there. And the veteran netminder, Milan Borian, is also in his familiar spot, blowing a kiss to Canada. They'll be guarding the net. At the last Nations League Cup in 2021, Canada didn't even make the semifinals. We got knocked out in the group stage. This time, we do have a chance to win the whole enchilada. Blue Jays and Orioles at Camden Yards in Baltimore. Now, Toronto's a very good team, except when it plays its own division. Coming into this game, they were 6-16 six against teams in the American League East, and Baltimore's in the American League East, but that's a solo shot for George Springer in the sixth, and then Bo Bichette, who's had a great start to the year, one of the top hitters in the American League, puts this one to the wall. It's a double. Springer's coming around. He's going to have to put his face in the dirt to score. He does. 3-1. Toronto wins against a division rival in Baltimore. There you go. Spitting out some gravel there. <laughs> yeah, right. you score. That's okay. It's good to eat some dirt once in a while. That's right. All right. Thank you, Squire. Coming up, the beautiful carved sculpture. The artist is about to burn to the ground. Jordan Armstrong is back with a preview of what's coming up on Global News at 11 tonight. Jordan? Chris, we will have the latest on that family tragedy in Prince Rupert. Four bodies, those of a couple and their two children, found inside a home. Police are not looking for any suspect. Plus, you might remember this story. A woman attacked while walking on a trail in Lynn Valley last year. In the immediate aftermath, she started filming and confronted her attacker. Now a man's been found guilty of sexual assault in connection with that case. We'll tell you who he is at 11. Chris. All right, thanks very much, Jordan. Watching an artist at work usually makes for a pretty interesting experience. And as Gil Tucker shows us in one Calgary neighborhood right now, it's got people pondering a burning question. When I was building it, people walked by, it's like, what are you making, what are you making? All kinds of ideas about what it might be. The feathers look like a bird, the wings, eagle, maybe. But the head's not a bird. Like what? <laughs> Definitely an eye catcher in Neil Meyer's front yard. His neighbors watching this captivating creation come to life. I'm going to make this big crow. When I come out and I throw this rhinoceros head on it, my wife's like, well, why don't you call it a chronoceros? Menacing above you, protecting its egg and its nest. Two months in the making. 
I had my kids helping out. Now getting ready to hit the road with it. I'm taking it to a festival. Neil's annual trip to an event called Freezer Burn, happening later this month in central Alberta. Theme this year is Midnight Menagerie, hybrid creatures. An offshoot of the famous Burning Man Festival in Nevada. Flames always playing a big role. My plan was to burn this. You don't get the full effect of the art until it's lit on fire. Everything going according to plan. And then the fire ban came up. Neil's not sure yet whether there'll be any burning going on at this year's freezer burn, but if the chronoceros doesn't go up in flames... I have room in my backyard. Either way... It's been a real adventure. A nice break from his day job. IT, sitting at home. I need some outlets to be creative. A fun side note is like... The number of crows I have landing in this nest and, and perching on it has increased exponentially since I put it up. And what would the neighbors like to see happen? Capet. I'm kind of hoping to see it again. <laughs> Maybe just burn the nest. Gil Tucker, Global News. That was the other thing too. Like Amazing. Crows visit the nest. No rhinoceroses so far, though apparently in that Calgary neighborhood. Are there usually rhinoceroses, not rhinoceroses running around? You grew up in Calgary. You would know if there's rhinos there. Never seen it happen. Pretty, pretty yeah. sure that is unlikely. Uh, and thankfully, no tornadoes either around here. Uh, quick, work, uh, quick word on weather before we go. And none here, but there is still a tornado warning in parts of uh, southern Alberta right now. People are being urged to stay indoors. All right, for our region, we are expecting... Uh, mix, oh, sunshine tomorrow. Sorry, I was confused as to what day it was. Sunshine for a Thursday. But on Friday, we are expecting a weak front to move across. That will bring a slight chance of showers. It's going to remain unsettled through the weekend also. I don't know about you, Chrissy, but Wednesday came up quick Thursday too. So I, I understand. Thanks for watching, everyone. <laughs> we'll see you tomorrow.